Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Doing all right, all things considered. Still leading a hermit-like existence in St. Albert? Uh, by and large, I, I decided to get rid of the COVID beard the other day. Uh, oh, yeah, that's I right. I noticed, thought something was different there. I couldn't put my finger on it. Birthday, very yeah, observant. Birth, birthday present for my wife. She just had a birthday, so I gave her the gift of a clean-shaven clean look for a few days. We'll see how long it lasts, but... Uh, she, I gave her the option on the on the uh, mustache and the soul patch. I, I just did the rest on my own. And she's never seen my upper lip naked, so she decided to keep the stash. So it's still around. Very, <laughs> anyway. very nice. So, Bruce, the Oilers have a signing today we can talk Ooh, about. Actual, actual Oilers Ooh. news. They signed Phil Kemp to a three-year entry-level contract we'll talk about that you've watched a handful of his games and i just watched one mm -hmm. to get a sense of sense of his game at least not a definitive take um we'll talk i've been watching some prospect games from a couple of order uh, forwards who were drafted not order forwards yet but tyler tuoli of the oshawa generals uh, who i always mispronounce is just did it again <laughs> well what is it what is it is it not tuoli tulio T U L L I O. <laughs> oh, good. A, he, he, yeah, he, Tyler Tufoli. Too, too close. Tyler Tufoli is too close. <laughs> and, okay, Tyler Tulio. Mm -hmm. I've been watching his games. <laughs> Excuse me. And Carter Savoy, mm -hmm. uh, who played um, for the Sherwood Park Crusaders this past year. And is going. he's soon going to be playing games for the University of Denver. Quickly about the latest viewings that both of us have had of Joachim Nygaard and Jesse Puljujarvi in uh, their respective leagues in Sweden and Finland. And then we'll talk about, uh, well, I've compiled a list at least of the, the nine top prospect defensemen for the Edmonton Oilers and where I have them now. And uh, I'll get you, you know, you we've both been watching them. You watched uh, the big three, Bouchard. Broberg and Samarukov most recently. So we'll go down my list and we'll see where we agree and disagree on that. Bruce, let's start with the signing of Phil Kemp. What do you make of it? Well, it's, it got resolved pretty quick. I just wrote about uh, Kemp last week on the, on the, on the cult with the uh, news that the um, Ivy League had collectively decided to suspend their entire season 2020-21 season uh, due to the uh, due to the COVID situation, and Kemp was all set to uh, finish off his uh, career as the captain of the Yale University Bulldogs in his senior year. Everything was all set to go, and presumably at the end of the year it would have been decision time to sign then with the Oilers or possibly to head for free agency in August. Well, with that season being cancelled. If he wants to play hockey this year, he either has to sign with the Oilers or he has to convince the Oilers to trade him somewhere where he will sign, uh, a la John Marino. But uh, he took uh, uh, the high road and he just signed directly with the Oilers. They offered him a contract, as I suggested they ought to, really, last week. 
and it got resolved pretty quickly. No terms are out yet, but it's a standard three-year entry-level co contract with a narrow range of, of uh, values somewhere uh, under a million dollars and presumably for a seventh-round draft choice, which Kemp is, presumably somewhere closer to the league minimum uh, than the uh, maximum allowable, but uh, we'll see. Also, presumably a signing bo bonus that'll put a little cash in his jeans while uh, all this situation plays out. I wonder how, what percentage of seventh-round picks actually get entry-level contracts, three-year entry-level deals, and I don't think it's 50%. I don't think it's even close to that, but I could be incorrect um, about that. Um, maybe about half. What, what do you think? I haven't, I haven't actually... Uh, looked at this but it's anyway what i want my point is congratulations phil kemp like you've been playing hockey all your life working hard uh with the pro dream in mind no doubt and you know a u.s scholarship at yale was probably a high on the priority list as well um i don't know like you said he took the high road bruce i don't know i just think he acted like i would phrase it as he acted in his interest i i don't think he owed anything to the oilers they drafted him right They're giving him this opportunity but he yep. didn't under the collective bargain agreement, he could have played out the year, and that would have been fine for him to explore his options. And it's interesting that may well have happened um, if he didn't have if this choice wasn't forced upon him. And the choice was a hard one. It's either like play no hockey, essentially no competitive hockey this winter. And for a, a, a let's let's face it, a borderline NHL prospect even at this point, mm -hmm. sure, um, that would be a very iffy decision to miss um this winter of hockey now the question is well there's a couple questions like how do how do we rate this guy as a player and where is he going to play this year like he's not going to be playing right. harvard yale which is the game that i watched he's going to be um he's going to be playing somewhere probably either on the oilers extended roster in edmonton if they don't have an ahl team or in in europe or in the AHL, wherever the AHL is. And it's really up in the air where the AHL is going to be. Everything's up in the air because we don't know. Like, there's some really hopeful news. This is the, the thing that I'm obsessed with right mm -hmm. now is this vaccine information, Bruce. Right. Such incredibly hopeful news. You know, I've come to the conclusion there's no good answer with COVID except <laughs> the vaccine. It's just brutal. It's brutal. And there's and and the public policy around it is just one brutal decision after another where you're weighing costs and benefits that are incredibly difficult to weigh. And, and, and you know, people get hurt on either side of the decision really hard. The, what we need is a vaccine. And we're going to looks like we're going to get one or the United States is at least going to get one sooner than later. Hopefully we'll get one right away as well maybe that will change things and maybe the maybe we'll have an ahl team in bakersfield able to cross the border what do you think yeah well the questions about uh, the ahl are, are uh, many uh starting with if uh then when then where and what format uh the where has to do with the uh the fact that the nhl may be looking at a hard border with an all-Canadian division playing all-Canadian games, and four of the seven Canadian teams have uh, Canadian affiliates in the AHL, but the other, th the three westernmost, are all have their uh, farm teams down in the uh, uh, down in the states. And for movement of players and so on, not to mention competition, that may make sense to form a Canadian division in the AHL, uh, as. Uh, Funny as that sounds, American Hockey League, Canadian division. 
uh, and to, to find some kind of temporary homes for the uh, for those three clubs, you know, whether it's Saskatoon and Red Deer and, and Kelowna or whether it's actually Edmonton, Calgary and Vancouver, the way many of the Eastern teams play in, right in their home city. So that's one option. Uh, the more I think about uh, Phil Kemp, though, the seventh round draft pick just turning pro and in some sense a year ahead of schedule, uh, the landing spot for him may well be the Wichita Thunder of the ECHL, which are the like. Oilers farm team, you know, sort of double A ball for, for, for hockey, the ECHL. And often we see goaltenders get their start in that league or, or you know, long haul prospects, uh, which really Kemp projects to be one. Like if that league gets going and their current plans, believe it or not, are to start on December 11th and play a 72 game season and I can't find any anything that says that's been changed some teams may not play at all some teams may start later but Wichita was on the list of 13 teams that wanted to start on December 11th now, I really don't think that'll happen but it does sound like they plan to play and anywhere they can get Phil Kemp a game is is where they need to put him and I don't think it's going to be Europe I just don't see him finding a spot yeah. and there's too many travel yeah. restrictions you know the Oilers have you know tapped out Europe and they got many prospects playing there now but I don't know how they would how they would get uh, this guy over there yeah I agree the, the uh, ECHL suggestion really makes sense um, I don't know if that's been mentioned today or not but if you think about it um, he's he, he's not going to be making this year mm-hmm. and they don't need to call him up from the states. That's a good league. It's a it's a you know it's a decent hockey league. He'll be playing at least. And mm-hmm. if they did need to move him to Bakersfield later on, or an Edmonton farm team in wherever Red Deer, or someplace like that, um, Saskatoon, they could do that. They could um, they could later do that. So for sure. What do you think of him, Bruce? Do you think he? What do you think of his chances as an NHLer? Well, there's lots to like about the guy. He's got a he's got a, a really good pedigree. You know, he came up through that uh, that powerhouse uh, U.S. national team development program, uh, where he not only played two full seasons, but he was captain of the both the U17, U18 programs. Uh, he played on the U18 team that won the uh, gold medal for the United States. And the U20 World Junior Team that won the silver uh, in 2019. Uh, so he's hung out with some very high-powered, high-end draft picks. Now, hung out with is different from being one. He's a seventh-round pick, number 208 overall, which suggests he's a long shot. Uh, haven't watched his games in Yale. Uh, again, there's lots, lots to like. I think this is a player, you know, a very high-character player, and clearly he was going to be uh, on... Uh, uh, he was, you know, he was going to be the captain in his senior year. Uh, but the technical issue that he's facing that's, that jumped out at me in the games I watched is skating. I, I don't see him as a, a, a NHL caliber a skater at this point. Uh, a little bit of a, you know, a, a clunky stride. And I didn't find technically, you know, turning and that sort of thing. Uh, looked real natural to him. Like he's a battler and he he hangs around, but to make it in the NHL, you got to be a battler and move his feet. So uh, I, that's 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 my concern about 
his future more than anything. Now that said, he's got a three-year contract, and he's got you know David Pelche on his side now, and you know work to be done, and every indication that he's a guy who will embrace and do the work. But we'll see. Yeah, that's the impression I got as well. Is that skating could be skating is the issue in terms of NHL play. I mean, even in the U.S. college game, he he was you know just average at best as a skater for that level of play, mm-hmm. and um, you know which which means for a defensive defenseman, um, sometimes you don't get that separation to make a good outlet pass. And I saw him dumping the puck out a little bit more than I would have liked to have seen. Again, this is just a first impression. Um, so that definitely is an area of concern. And uh, he's a big rangy guy though, strapping yeah. guy. He's going to mm-hmm. get bigger. And um, players have, there's, there, there have been players who have improved their skating. And uh, we'll see what happens with him. He's got three years though yep. to work it out. And I think it was I think it was the correct decision to give him that contract mm-hmm. and to see he's a right shot D man. They're always in need. You know, maybe the fear was well, we don't we can't have another John Marino situation here where he goes elsewhere. Right. But he's no John Marino. I mean, John Marino. I think the thing that's it's really strong with Marino is his skating. Like he kind of skates at that NHL level. And he's a good thinker of the game. Kemp may be a good thinker of the game, but his feet have got to, right. you got to get there. So, right. John Marino, man, that was a case of a perfect storm. Uh, he was a, he was a sixth round draft pick of the Oilers in 2015, right after they chose Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear. They came back with John Marino, a natural wow. trick of fine defense prospects. But, um, uh, Marino found himself also in Ivy League school, Harvard University, uh, playing right defense. And he was stuck all three years he was there. He was stuck behind another uh, more famous right shot defense prospect named Adam Fox. And Adam Fox was an offensive defenseman, got all the power play duty, got all the stats. And Marino was, a, you know, stay at home, uh, you know, look after the rest of the game type of uh of player whose offensive opportunities were limited because Fox got them all. Of course, Fox has gone on to, uh, you know, make the NHL this season, as did Marino, and they both got a lot of votes for, you know, a good number of votes for the Calder Trophy. And because Marino was so buried there, I mean, there was no even chance to evaluate the guy in terms of everything that was possible. I mean, nobody, but nobody saw him just jumping directly into the NHL and, and, uh, it was uh, it was a real shocker that uh, how quickly that that trade turned in favor of the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's the only good thing is that draft that draft where they got Bear Jones and Marino. Like that's mm-hmm. almost in the modern era. If these players all pan out, which is still you know they're still all young in their careers, one of them could you know they all look like they're trending in exactly the right direction. Let's say they continue to do that. That's kind of a pretty historic little run there uh, of draft picks for for one team. So, you know, that was um, that was kind of a hybrid year. Wasn't it Bob Green's first year fully in charge, but they were kind of going had not had Stu McGregor been in charge just up until then. Right. So it's a lot of McGregor's staff. Bob Green Mm -hmm. was part of that staff and Shirelli's Mm -hmm. coming in as well. It's before Keith Gretzky, right? Yep. So, um, you know, it's generally a Bob Green draft, I guess, with yeah, uh, sure. this Shirelli, with um, with McGregor and McCavish's staff. Um, 
Shirley had just arrived, and that was the year they had. Uh, I think, of course, they drafted McDavid number one overall for a clear and easy win for the scouting team. Uh, and then they went ahead and they they traded uh, 16, 33, 57, 79, 86, 110, I believe. And then 117, they finally kept a pick, and that's when they picked Caleb Jones. So the picks that they, that they used, they got players, and that will always remain the what-if draft. You know, what uh, if they just hung on to those picks and drafted some of the guys that were available at 16, 33, et cetera, because uh, there was a yeah. lot of opportunity missed with, uh, uh, with those trades. And, I mean, they, they got Cam, take, uh... Cam Talbot out of it, but uh, the, the two higher picks went for Griffin Reinhardt, and that, that proved to be an unmitigated disaster for the Oilers. Doesn't rumor have it they wanted um, Joel Erickson Eck, at 16, mm-hmm. and they wanted um, Brandon Carlo. Oh, that would have uh, been a good pick. pick. Those would have mm-hmm. been two decent picks. I mean, Eric Eck hasn't turned out as well as some of the players from that draft, but he seems like he's a decent hockey player from what I've seen of him. Uh, Bruce, speaking of draft picks, um, I've been, I was looking at a couple of the, you know, we're, we're hoping the owners, get, uh, every year we hope this, but the, they've had another historic run of drafting forwards. Because mm-hmm. this, this year, with all six of their picks, yeah. They drafted forwards, and at one point they traded down in the draft. They traded like what was it, their eighty-something pick, 76 pick, and they got the hundredth and the hundred and twenty-sixth pick, I believe. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes. And with those two picks, they took Carter Savoy and Tyler. I, I dread say Tulio. 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 Tyler Tulio. <laughs> uh, not Tyler Tofoli or Tyler Tuoli, but Tyler Tulio. Uh, with those two with, picks. Go ahead. Mine's with Julio or Coolio. Julio. Julio. <laughs> Who is Coolio? Wasn't there a rap singer called uh. Julio? Uh, so uh, I was watching, uh, I watched one game from Savoy uh, last year. The last game, It was the last game that he played. And then I've watched a couple of Tulio's games. And um, they're, they're, they're both really skilled hockey players. That's the first thing that jumps out at you. So Carter mm-hmm. Savoy is, when he gets the puck, good things happen. When he, when the puck is on his stick, mm-hmm. you know, this is at the AJHL level, right? So, right. you know, this is a proviso, a major caveat in this whole thing. But when he gets that puck, he knows what to do with it. He is so confident. You know, he's got that kind of arrogance with the puck. You know, he gets it and just slings it over to the, you know, makes a pass or a shot. That's the first thing that hit me. Both of these players also, and I wasn't necessarily expecting this, were, were surprisingly kind of physical mm-hmm. in terms of they're not big big guys, either of them, but they were both throwing their weight, whatever weight they had, they were throwing it around. Mm-hmm. They were they were battling hard. They want the puck. Both these guys mm-hmm. are kind of bang the stick on the ice, get me the damn puck kind of hockey players, uh, especially uh, Tulio. He was constantly mm-hmm. doing that, Good. demanding the puck. And when it when it got on his stick, good things happened again. Like there, Tulio is a bit more of a chippy player, and Savoy I'd say has, has a slightly higher skill level. But they're very similar players in a lot of ways. I don't think that either of them has plus skating right now. Um, extremely smart hockey IQ, but they're not fabulous skaters, which explains why they went where they did in the draft. I think if both of them had been better skaters they would have been late first 
they would have been in the first or second round based on their you know, their scoring was pretty good for both of them. They both Gosh. put up a lot of points in their respective leagues. They're, you know, I'll say. Savoy was almost two points a game in the AJHL, and, and Tulio was a point-a-game player in the OHL, which is a which is a fantastic, which for is a really seven. strong thing for a 17-year-old to do. You bet, 17-year-old kid last year, you know, at the time, like he turned 18 in April. Yeah, he's, he's younger, right? He Yeah. And he was, what, third on his team, uh, uh, Oshawa, one point out of second on his team. They had three three guys that were well ahead of the rest of the pack, and, and he was one of them. And he's the son of the owner there, and there was one of, one of those cases where people kind of looked askance when they picked him in the, uh, in the prospect draft, uh, but he covered the bat. And some people had him ranked as high as second round in their, in their draft previews. You know, late second round, you know, in the 50 to 60 range. And it was surprising that he slid. And he slid all the way to the fifth round. But wow. uh, from an Oilers perspective, you know, that number 76, I said this on draft day, and I still believe it. They traded it out for two picks, and I would have been happy with either pick if they just kept 76 and picked a guy then. And I'm on with getting two guys of that caliber. Well, if the Oilers had had, like, let's say they hadn't, if they had had like a second round pick, and um, started <laughs> this year, and uh, what do they have? They they had they had the third round pick, which they, they kept, which the they kept. James Neal kept. All right, pick, yeah. yeah. So if they had a second and a third round pick, um, just normal under any kind of normal circumstances, they, if they had taken these two players in the second and third round, it would have looked like a normal draft because of they Tulio. I think the consensus ranking for both guys was actually about third round. Mm-hmm. For both of them, when you looked at all the experts, um, would have so maybe would have been a bit of a reach for for t- to take one in the second. But some people had them in the low, like low second round, like in the thirties. Carter Savoy was, I think, Scott Wheeler had him in the uh-huh. uh, right at the top of the of the uh, of the second round. Scott Wheeler is a, a pretty sharp um, prospect guy who writes for the Athletic, and um, you know certainly um, looks at all these players himself and comes up with sensible views of them. So, yeah, the, the owners got very, they did well to get these guys. And we'll see, we'll see. Like, so, so Savoy's 18, he's going to Denver. Yep. Um, uh, he's got lots of time there. He's got four years and um, to develop. Uh, Tulio has two more years to play in the OHL. He's mm-hmm. not in contention this year to play for a team Canada but by next year at the world junior tournament he could be vying on the roster like if he has a season where he gets let's say 80 90 100 points which is possible or well prorated yeah mm-hmm. um last year he was playing on the line with uh, Phil Tomasino who was I think who drafted him St. Louis I think who drafted yeah he, he played part of the year Tomasino played 26 games Nashville there. And then he got traded out. Or no, he got traded in, I guess, from Niagara. Joshua. Yeah. Is he um, ever a good hockey player? Well, yeah, he, he was a first-round pick in uh, uh, 2019 uh, and and a highly rated one. And he's in the mix for Team Canada right now, Thomas. Yeah. Eno. He went to Nashville uh, 24th overall in 2019. And yeah. he's, he really has got the puck on a string and uh, is in it. Strong, strong attacking hockey player. Looks like Nashville got a good one there. So yeah, I was encouraged to see the players. I mean, what I saw, Bruce, really matched up 
with mm-hmm. um, a lot of the scouting reports. A lot of the scouts mentioned there were some questions about Savoy's work ethic. And he did have a he did have kind of a casual look about him. He spent a lot of the mm-hmm. time with one hand on his stick when he didn't have the puck, and it, it like an, an inordinate amount of time it seemed to me. Uh, and it, it, maybe posture that drives uh, people a little bit crazy because you know he just has that kind of. There's a little bit of he's a really smart hockey player, so maybe when he doesn't have to hustle, he doesn't even pretend to look like he's hustling. Uh, there might be some of that going on, but man, he, he does hustle when he's getting after that puck and to be, to be an NHL hockey player though, mm-hmm. he is going to have to raise his work rate, uh, in, in an obvious way and raise his skating ability in an obvious way in the next right. few years. These are possible, but he, the, the guy has the skill level to one day, um, challenge for a job in the NHL, as does uh, Tuoli, Tulio, Tulio. He's, he's quite this, uh, quite the sniper, right, Savoy? Like, he scored, uh, he scored uh, 53 goals in the AJHL, and as I recall, just going off memory here, that was the most in that league by any player in something like 19 years, and he, wow. he missed, he missed six games, so he didn't play the fullest, he played 90% of the, of the schedule, and, and basically scored a goal a game, 53 goals in 54 games, and, and uh, uh, he's a sniper. Uh, his younger brother, who I have seen play, Matthew Savoy, I saw him at the John Reed Bantam tournament that they hold out here in St. Albert every year, except 2021, it's been cancelled, but uh, terrific tournament of, you know, WHA, sorry, WHL talent pool level players, and Matthew Savoy, in, I saw him play the championship game in that tournament. He scored the tying and winning goals in the third period and made quite an impression. I went into the game saying, who's this number seven guy? He looks good. And by the end of it, I knew who he was because I kept announcing his name on the PA for scoring. <laughs> and he went on to be a, uh, a near um, uh, elite um, talent. He wound up playing with uh, Winnipeg in the, uh, in the WHL this year. And he was right on the cusp of being named a, what do they call him, the elite player? The, the, the same program McDavid went through, you know. and, and Yeah, uh, 15-year-old underage. Yeah, and yeah, I, where, there is a name for it. Where exceptional status. Exceptional status. status. Yeah, he, so he yeah. was, that's the younger brother. And clearly there's talent in the family. And Savoy is known for his quick, accurate shot. But he's going to have to build a more complete game than that around that skill. But if you're going to have one skill to start with, being able to put the puck in the net is a pretty good skill to have, and he's got it. He's probably uh, his brother is probably the most heralded uh, prospect out of the Edmonton area since Tyler Benson. Tyler Benson. And I just watched uh, Tyler Benson's playing mm-hmm. in the second Swiss League, and I just watched his game for I think it's G. He's, GKC. I'm not exactly the Lions of GKC. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what city they're in. Anyway, he uh, he looked awfully big and fast out on there on that Swiss ice, Bruce. But and I couldn't tell if that's just because it's a small, slightly smaller, slower league. It might be. Um, it's good to see though Tyler Benson um, playing. He's and he's killing penalties there. Um, so he's getting some experience. He never got. I don't think he even did that in Bakersfield in the AHL. And he looked good killing penalties. He's an interesting player because he's kind of become the other's forgotten man on left wing. Now, there was quite a lot of hope around him last year after a pretty fabulous rookie season in the AHL. 
um, where his point scoring heralded, you know, a, what looked to be a, a decent NHL career going forward. He didn't quite have as good a year last year in the AHL, uh, partly because his, his partner in crime on the attack, Cooper Marodi, was hurt much of the year. And um, so he's kind of, and then the Oilers, of course, have brought in Dominic Cahoon and Tyler Ennis, mm-hmm. two kind of similar, you know, they're, they're, these are, by NHL standards, none of these are big players. They're all skill wingers. Mm-hmm. So Benson is in tough uh, behind Cahoon and Ennis, honestly, for a, a roster spot. You know, <laughs> you also have Ryan Nugent Hopkins on that side. Right. So where are you going to, where is the skill winger going to fit? The good thing about Benson is he kind of can play a gritty game, which is what I saw um, him killing the penalty. He looked really good as a penalty killer, you know, fearlessly going, getting out there. Maybe he had some fear, but it looked fearless to get out there to block the shots uh, and playing his position really well. He, he grinds uh, on the boards. He's defensively responsible. So again, though, even making the fourth line on the orders this year is going to be a huge chore. The good news for Benson is that he has one more year on his entry-level contract. So there's, mm-hmm. he, he has another chance in the organization if there's an AHL season to make it big there. Um, yeah, they've got, I mean, the thing about the guys ahead of them, I mean, including Nugent Hopkins for that matter, but also uh, uh, Ennis and uh, Cahoon and another guy we'll talk about shortly, uh, Joachim Nygaard, are all uh, speedy, skill left wingers. Uh, all of them are expiring contracts in 2021, including yes. Benson, whose ELC expires in 2021, meaning next year he will no longer be uh, exempt from waivers, uh, but also meaning that next year, you know, one or two of these other guys might move on. So he almost seems destined for AHL and in, in, uh, the upcoming season. But if he makes a big splash, then that might affect how Ken Holland goes about constructing his roster for the 21-22 season, which is, to me, the earliest that we can really expect to see Tyler Benson as a full-time oiler. Yeah, because they might be facing a decision where, let's say, Cahoon or Annis puts up forty to fifty points somehow, or you know, in you know, thirty-five to fifty points, and or Nigard puts up, let's say, thirty to thirty-five points. They might that might put them in a price range where they're they're out of touch. But if Benson's getting a point a game and playing in all situations and being a leader in the HL team, they might think, well, we'll just go with him. He'll be a million dollar player for us next year, and we can't afford two or three million dollars. And because that's what the this is the, the decision the owners are going to be constantly faced with in the next few years. And it's good that they have all these players, um, this depth to pick from. Bruce, you watched Nigard, uh, I did three of his games. How's I he did. coming along? How's he coming along? Yeah, he's had a he's had a slow start over there. <laughs> Uh, we talked earlier about how his season came to an end with a with a bad hand injury that he suffered blocking a shot in late January, busted up his hand pretty good. Uh, he came to Oilers training camp in July, uh, but he apparently wasn't ready, and they they never really considered him. They didn't use him in the exhibition game or or anything. He never got in the lineup. Then he went over, signed with his old team over there in in uh, uh, in the Swedish league. Uh, played one game at the start of the season and said this hand still isn't right and he went and he opted for surgery and he missed a better part of uh, at least three weeks and then he came back and he had a like real slow start after seven games he had one point and 
he had expressed unhappiness with his own game, uh, according to uh, sources that speak Swedish. And anyway, I watched his last three games, which are his eighth, ninth, and tenth games this season, and I saw, a, you know, players who excels in the Swedish league, and he, he looked like an excellent player in all three games. He scored a, a, a very fine assist in the first game, a goal in the second, and the third game he went scoreless, but uh, he was... Um, just all over the ice. He can sure skate. And he, he's, again, not just sheer speed straight ahead, but he's got, uh, you know, he's he's uh, uh, a sound technical skater. He effortlessly uh, moves from, you know, straight ahead to lateral to backwards uh, skating and, and appropriate to the situation. Like, he reads the play, and he's always in the puck, it seems like. And, and uh, uh, when he gets... When he gets ahead of steam going, like when he carried the puck through the neutral zone, that guy can rock it. I mean, this is the guy who beat Connor McDavid in the uh, Oilers' fastest skater competition last year, for whatever that's worth. But, I mean, he can skate. And that's central to his game. What I liked about it is that he skates in both directions, uh, no matter which team has the puck. And in all three zones, like he used that, uh, he used that skill, like he's relentless around the puck, and it really doesn't matter where on the ice it is, he's after it. And I thought defensively he was very sound, he was getting in the lanes, he was challenging for, you know, possession, uh, winning his share, and uh, uh, offensively, you know, a darting player who, you know, create uh, uh, chances, and the odd one's going to wind up in the net. Like, he, you know, he's uh, he's... No, I don't think we can mistake him for a top six at the NHL level, but we can sure uh, call him an NHL caliber player and, and strongly in the mix uh, for the Oilers' suddenly deep left wing uh, spot where you know they signed him to a one-year extension. Even after he busted his hand, Holland saw enough of his season, liked him enough to sign him to a one-year extension, one-way contract, $875,000. So, you know... Decent value in terms of the of the of the cost of the contract could be bar- fully buried in the NHL if it came to that. But I think he'll be on the roster and uh, getting games. I love how how he just sticks into the play. He just gets in there. He, he's mm-hmm. he's he's a small player but very aggressive and feisty. Battles hard for the puck. And the orders. It's interesting from kind of gloom and doom on the left side, which we which we were all kind of feeling before mm-hmm. the signing period. The, the depth chart, you know, is R&H, Cahoon, Ennis, possibly Archibald or Neal, Negard, Benson, Gambardella. You know, there's possibly lots. Possibly Kara. Possibly Kara. So there's there's lots of options there. And you could see them. Cahoon, R&H, and Ennis are all kind of offensive hockey players. R&H, mm-hmm. more of a two-way guy. But um, you could see Negard somehow being picked maybe like in some games being picked over Ennis or Cahoon in some games, because if they're looking for a checker, um, a super fast checker, a reliable defensive player, um, I could see Dave, uh, Dave Tippett in some games going with that. And then there's also the specter of injuries, of course, that, you know, that's always going to happen, but they're suddenly covered. They're about, um, you know, five or six deep with actual NHL players. I think, and and I would include Tyler Benson. I think Tyler Benson could play as a fourth line NHL player this year and, and do do fine. He, I thought he did fine last year in his stint with the Oilers. He he uh, was a solid two way hockey player. 
So um, not so bad. I saw one, the most recent game of Yesa Puliyarvi, Bruce, mm-hmm. and um, he he's uh, he. It's going to be interesting to see him come back and play the North American game because he he he's a he swoops around the, you know, like he's the big aircraft carrier swooping around the ice in Europe, dominating things and and you know playing a very uh, predatory game, just very strong hockey and it, and. He probably had his best moment of the season in overtime in this in this game where he was even with the player. There, there was a puck battle in his own zone at, uh, along the boards. There was uh, two players on each team battling for the puck. And kind of in the high slot was Puglia and the player he was checking. And Puglia was kind of reading the play, cheating for offense a little bit. And as soon as he saw his team get possession, he took off. And he took off a split second before um the other attacker so he was cheating for offense you can call it or reading the play correctly would be another way of looking at it he got a pass that's what i saw too he he read the play correctly he got it and he got a pass and he just pulled away absolutely pulled away it was like secretariat in the in the home stretch (laughs) pulling away from the from the guy trying to catch him it was not close and he scored he scored a really beautiful goal going five hole it, it it just Pugliarvi is such a tantalizing player in a lot of ways. Um, I guess what I'm noticing is one if I if I could think of one thing he's going to need to that he could improve on, he still gets knocked over a bit too much, and when he's puck protecting, he's he and he but he's, and it, I think it's because he's he's big, but he doesn't have a huge base. Like he doesn't have like I don't think he's got the huge legs yet, and the huge you know, hockey butt, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And as that, as he gets older and stronger and bigger, bigger base, stronger base, and puck protects better, right. and he, he, that's the thing he could work on and needs to work on, I think, to become a, you know, a, a top six NHL forward. And, you know, that's going to come. He's what, 21, 22 now? 22. 22. It's, it's, you know, he's working on it. I think that's that's coming around. He had problems with his hips, major problems with his hips, required two two surgeries there. So that's that's an area that's going to come. But that's what I that's in terms of what what's next for him, where he can develop. That's what I would. That's what I was seeing. No, it's funny. Eh? He's he's got like two goals in his last eight or nine or ten games, and they both came in overtime to yeah. decide two different games. I'd like to see a little more production from the guy this point but uh, in the games that i watched he looked fine and you know and he's uh uh i i focused on two earlier games and he looked particularly fine in one of them less so in the other but uh so maybe consistency is something he has to work on but i mean you could pick two games of any player and find that one performance was superior to the other so who knows but he, he certainly got the uh when he's in full swoop mode you know, he's like, he's, uh, he's like a bald eagle patrolling the skies. You know, he swoops and the other guy's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see him in overtime for the Oilers. I think he's a really good pick for three-on-three hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to see him out there. Like, if you put, you know, you go Nuge and McDavid, well, you, you know, they probably would go Yamamoto and Drysaddle, but you pull the RV and Drysaddle would also be something to see. That would be something to see. Um, and then they have it, you know, you can go with Yamamoto and maybe Ennis or, you know, they've got six, they've easily got 
six guys now. Like last year, they're sometimes struggling to get even four or five forwards that you'd want to put out there. But they, they've got six or seven now. And Cahoon, of course, is also a spectacular little offensive hockey player. So, yeah, this is a, this is a, a different team on the attack than we're gonna than we saw last year and certainly the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that it for the players, Bruce? Have we covered? The, yeah, I mean, just to just to summarize that and maybe segue to where you're going next, they, they've they've really added to the offensive side of things with with Pugliarvi, Turris, Ennis, Cahoon all being added to the list, and then that entire list of forwards being picked in the draft, six forwards out of six draft picks, and uh, that being because they already are chock a block with decent uh, defense prospects, which uh, in our current listing of the color hockey prospects which is pre-draft uh of the top 17 uh we have just five forwards but nine defensemen and three goaltenders so there there's lots of lots of d-men and, and i understand you're you're in the process of shuffling your your ratings just of those nine players in terms of yeah. where you see them we're going to be voting again. We're going to have a redraft because we've had the NHL's had their draft, and we're going to include those players plus everything we've seen in Europe. And we're going to do an updated 2020 list, um, the final 2020 list on where the prospects stand. And um, there's been a couple of changes on my own list, having seen these players in mm-hmm. Europe. Fair so enough. I would, I'll just give you my list, and then we can talk okay. about it. The, at the top of the list, I have Evan Bouchard. Number two, Philip Broberry. Number three, Theodore Landstrom. Oh. Number four, Dmitry Samarukov. Number five, Michael Kesselring. Mm-hmm. Number six, William Lagasson. Number seven, Philip Berryland. Number eight, Phil Kemp. And number nine, Marcus Niemelainen. And I just want to start by saying the difference between Bouchard and Broberg Broberry is so small it's almost it's a fake argument to say one's ahead of the other one isn't ahead of the other they're both really really strong prospects they're they're they they they're very different hockey players and Bouchard is a couple years older than Broberry to keep in mind but um I can they both have the same a very similar ceiling, which is top pairing, even number one D-man on the team. I think in terms of performance right now, Bouchard is ahead. But I think in terms of ceiling, Broberry has a slightly better chance of being a true number one D-man in the NHL. But very, very close. And and Broberry's been up and down this year. But, man, that guy, when he gets skating with the puck, and attacking with the puck, and in games where he's feeling it, where he's confident and going for it, because half the time he's kind of sitting back, seems to maybe lack a little bit of mojo in his game. But when he gets it, when when he's when he's made up his mind that he's going to get his feet moving in a game, he just causes all kinds of trouble for the other team with his with his rushes with the puck, and his skill level. Bouchard's passing and shooting is at, at the very highest level for defensemen. I think it's close. To, it's, it might even be close to the highest level for NHL D-man. That's how good Bouchard is when he's passing and shooting the puck. His skating isn't isn't all that. But Broberry's Bro, skating, passing and shooting is a little bit underrated, I think. And it, when it catches up to the speed of, of his skating, um, then we'll then we'll really know um, 
what his true ceiling is as a, as a player. Go ahead. Yeah, I watched both of them play uh, last week and some more cup. I watched uh, three of them, their most recent game. And you'd seen Broberry play on Thursday, and you said that he come he showed signs of reviving from what had been a, a personal slump for a couple of weeks, yeah. uh, and started being way more proactive and carrying the puck up ice again. And uh, I saw a lot of that in the Saturday game as well, uh, in which he finally scored his second goal of the season, having scored his first in the season opener, uh, but involved more involved in the attack, more involved in the rush and. I saw, you know, there was one play that really grabbed my eye where he basically went end to end. Uh, the play didn't turn into anything. And, and uh, when it came back the other way, he was the first guy back defending because he'd used his momentum on the rush to sort of, you know, turn back through the zone as cruise back. So like Paul Coffey at his classic best, right? Where yes. he's going so fast on the way up the ice that when he took the big turn around the net, all he had to do was turn around and he was at center ice already backing up into his own zone ready for the other guys. But then he picked up the puck a second time and he rushed it all the way inside the blue line. Like he skated over 500 feet in about 20, 15 seconds maybe. And he had the puck on the stick for more than half of that time. And, you know, it's his skating that's going to set him apart. And it's maybe the skating that, that establishes a higher ceiling for him uh, than Evan Bouchard. The, the other thing that makes it really hard to compare them is that uh, Broberry is playing in the uh, Swedish Hockey League and uh, Bouchard's in the uh, Hockey Allsvenskan, which is essentially the AHL level in Sweden, the, the second tier league. And, of course, Bouchard's 20 months older than Broberry, so they're 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 one. He's one year ahead of him in draft terms, but he, he was much older within his draft class than Broberry. So he's, uh, uh, you know, you expect him to be a little more polished and so on at this point. And <clears throat> with the puck on his stick, he's very polished, as you say, and an excellent shooter. Really good at changing his shooting angles to <clears throat> a open up the lanes, but also mess up the goalie a little bit when the you know the puck is moving in terms of where the release point is. And he nearly overpowered, he, he, he made a great play in the game I saw to not shoot when you think he was. A guy, guy sort of committed to the shot block and Bouchard responded to that by holding the puck, pulling it inside and then wiring a rocket to the high blocker side, forced an excellent save from, from the goalie. And that's just sort of innate uh, awareness of the situation and where the lane is, what the other guy is doing and reacting to it. So... <clears throat> And he he also scored a goal in that game with a wicked shot from the from the high slot on a five on three, just flat out beat the goalie from about twenty five to thirty feet out. And uh, uh, so there's lots to like with Bouchard, wonderful passer of the puck, but his skating is not at that level as Brobery. And no, it's often you know if if he tries to stand up at the blue line and the other guys shoot it in. His likelihood of winning the race back then to that puck is uh, less than you would like to see. That's something he's going to have to work on. Timing of how to hold the line and then peel off and 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 skate with conviction to to win the race and you know move the puck along. Yeah, or just use his body to shield the guy coming in and puck protect mm -hmm. and maybe being a little bit more physical in that situation. That's a good. That's a fair critique of the player. A little greasier, yeah. Uh, they might be an interesting pair together one day, Bruce. Like, uh, in, 
It's not impossible. They, they would complement. Their skills would be quite complementary. They would. I think. They would. Um, now, some people would have Dmitry Samarukov, who's playing like uh, just keep it simple, stupid hockey at a very high level for uh, Seska in the KHL. Um, some people would have him ahead of Lenstrom, and mm-hmm. and it's not really. And again, it's a difficult comparison because Lenstrom's twenty six, Samarukov's twenty one, and um, Lenstrom's a much more polished play, you know, experienced player at this at this point. But if the Oilers are looking for someone this year, right now, to step up and help them, I think he's a really good bet. He is such a smart hockey player, such a skilled hockey player, and aggressive, getting in the play, reading the play really well. Fantastic skater. Uh, you know, he, he's not big, and he's not physical. But I, I, what I've seen of his defense is he's generally in the right position at the right time. So, uh, and I know that a lot of people were excited about uh, Joel Pearson last year at, um, heading into camp, and he didn't work out. Pearson's not nearly the skater or competitor. I, I don't see, they're very different hockey players. Pearson seemed to be, um, just play more of a passive game, reliant on really good skills. He, you know, it, it, he, he's playing more of the Bouchard game, actually, Pearson, where things, where he needs it to go a little bit slower and use his skill to, um, to make the play. Whereas Lenstrom's forcing things constantly all over the ice. And I think it's more of an NHL style. So I, I have him ahead right now of Samarukov. Samarukov has become consistent where he was inconsistent in the past. He's just a very, he's playing very solid hockey. It's extremely encouraging. So I, really my, my ranking of Lenstrom ahead of him is just for this year. It's not, it's not for um, their ceiling. Uh, but I, I could see Lenstrom playing some, getting some, t- making it in the NHL, being, becoming an NHL hockey player. So that's why I give him that high ranking. What's your thought, Bruce? Uh, well, I've still got Sam Morukov would be number three on my list of the big three with uh, with uh, uh, with room to spare. I think uh, um, just because of what he's doing, where he's doing it, and what age he's doing it, 21 years old. And uh, he's, uh, uh, he's playing on one of the, well, the top team in the KHL, which is the best league outside the NHL. And uh, as of uh, the game I watched, which was the second last game, uh, he had the top plus of any defenseman in the KHL, tied with his own partner, Klaus Dahlbeck. And he'd been on the ice for 25 goals for and five against. Five goals against in like 26 games. So they're just not giving up anything at all. And that, that, of course, speaks to team strength, and it is a strong team, but it also speaks to a guy that's doing his job and doing it well. And he's got, I think, eight points, uh, but his job within this team isn't isn't to bring the offense from the back end. It's to mind the store and, and to, uh, uh, you know, and, and certainly contribute offensively because I've been scoring on his watch, but, uh, you know, he's... Uh, He's more get it up to the forwards and then let them look after the offense side of things. And I I know he's got offense in his game because we saw him dominate the OHL uh, in his last season there, and especially in the playoffs that year when he scored 28 points in 24 games and, and was a uh, was a central figure in, in throughout the uh, throughout his team's Memorial Cup run. So 
he's an intriguing player, but by eye, he's gone from the AHL to the KHL this year, a much tougher league, and he's taken an absolutely massive step forward in terms of his uh, of his play, his contribution to his team. Maybe he's a, a maybe he's a Russian defel- defenseman who's built to play in Russia, but it remains a fact that he came over early. The Oilers drafted him out of the OHL, and then he played two more years there, and then another year in the AHL. So he clearly wants to be over here, and I, I think he's uh, he's coming. He's on the rise. So the bottom group of players they have: Kesselring, Logason, Barryland, Kemp, and Nima Linen. Mm-hmm. And um, just just more quickly, the guy yep. that um, that really stands out in this group for me is Kesselring. And I rate him quite a bit higher than Kemp. He has everything that Kemp has, just a little bit more. He's he's a bit he's a better skater. He competes a little bit harder. He's a little bit better passing the puck. He's bigger. Um, and for all those reasons, I just you add it all up, and that's I think I think a considerably better pro- prospect than Kemp. Although we'll see, maybe Kemp will will prove that wrong in the next little while, and maybe my first impression of Kemp was incorrect. But I really like Kesselring. As he just competes, Bruce. He's a hockey. He's a smart hockey player who competes hard, and with that kind of size, good things can happen for him in his career. Um, we've all seen Logason. Yep. He's a really solid two-way hockey player. He could be, I think, like seventh defenseman on the Oilers. I think it'll be him or Lenstrom. And Logason's a bigger player, tougher player, um, better defender. Lenstrom's a more attacking, quicker skating player. So you, you kind of take your pick. Both of those players could play third-pairing hockey in the NHL this year and hold their own, I believe. As for Barry Lent, he's now out until uh, yeah, Christmas. He, he's out. And when, when I was watching him, he didn't look good. And I just wonder if he was playing with an injury. I don't know. He just looks – and I was I think I was saying this at the time. He looks stiff. It didn't look like no. – there had been such expectation about this player – but this is a really good hockey player, and I didn't really see that in the games that I was playing. Maybe this is the explanation that he was playing hurt. Yeah, well, I, I went back to his last game just to see. I often do this with the Oilers, too, when someone goes out, and I look at their last shift, and because often, you know, there's one shift and they're done right there. But he played right to the end of the last game. But I agree with you. He just he didn't look smooth. And I don't know enough about this player to know how he normally looks. Uh, but he just... He, you could have said the games I watched, he's nursing something, and I wouldn't disagree because yeah. that's you yeah. know that that uh, certainly fits with the observed uh, facts. And uh, honestly, I expected him to be a little a little bit better, a little bit more physical and aggressive than than what I saw. And that's often what you see too with a with a, a player nursing an injury is they're a little more reactive than than proactive. Uh, Lagesson, I mean, he actually's been sitting out since November fourth, and uh, the day he signed with the Oilers, and there was some talk that his contract made him ineligible then to be uh, to play in that league, but the Oilers have since transferred his rights to another team, uh, Christianstads, the last place team in hockey, Al Svenskan, and they themselves have been on a on a COVID enforced two week vacation uh but they and he will return to action uh tomorrow uh november 25th i guess that's today that he's uh scheduled to play next so he's got um 
uh, he's got, um, uh, I'm being visited by an English bulldog. Uh, <laughs> he's been, uh, he's been uh, uh, basically pulled back from, from not playing at all and getting his opportunity to play. So I'll be watching the game that he plays today with interest and see how he looks with his new club. But uh, he's, <clears throat> I think you're right that he's a, uh, he's a solid pick to be the number seven defender on the next year's Oilers team. Yeah. As for Nima Linen, um, you know, I'm not convinced, Bruce. <laughs> and, and he's been out too. He hasn't played in a long time now. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there, but he, the, the game I saw was he, he I, th- I think I might have seen a couple games. Anyway, he struggled to move the puck. He's a, he's a great big guy, good skater. But in, in today's NHL, you've really got to be able to pass that puck. And maybe, so maybe, maybe he was hurt too. Uh, well, same thing. I went to, yeah. I went back to his last game and he played right to the end of the third period in a decided game. So it was not like he was, um, uh, you know, he, that he left with an obvious injury during a game, but maybe he was nursing something because he's been, his last game was October 30th, which is nearly a month now. So this is really important in terms of rating these players overall. Um, to to take that into consideration and we're and this is the caveat on on everything we're saying is we're we're getting a snapshot uh a moment in time where we're seeing these players the more games we see them you know the more credible our opinion is going to be on on where they where they rank but to me the surprise if if there's there's been some really pleasant surprises i guess and lenstrom uh near the top of that list, Samarukov's consistency being another, and just Broberry's explosive talent, which which we'd, I'd seen in some games. You know, he's a controversial player. There's some evaluators that have him very high, and there's some that have him low. And I think Craig Button, Button for instance, had him high and then didn't even have him, I don't think, in his top 50 last year, if I'm not mistaken. So there's... You know, there's changing, varying opinions. So, and, and maybe, maybe we understand why. Maybe if you see Broberry when he's having one of his off games, and you see three or four of those games, and we saw mm-hmm. three or four in a row, um, you start to think, hmm. But when you see him, uh, and, and it's consistent enough in those good games when he's going, wow, this guy. Uh, he, he, if if it all comes together for him, the Oilers have a very special hockey player. Uh, on their hands here and it's so tantalizing to think about him on the ice with just think if you had you know if if let's say Broberry and Bouchard do develop as we hope you have those two guys out there and you need a goal and you put R&H Dreisaitl and McDavid on the ice with them that works that could work <laughs> works for me Merry Christmas order fans mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think we can agree that there's some enticing prospects in the system that we've been watching this, especially these last uh, few weeks. Some uh, some nice looking players out there. Yeah. All righty, Bruce. Well, let's leave it there. Let's mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk again uh, probably sometime next week. So thanks for talking today. All right, R.I.P. Fred Sasakamus, and thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey Podcast.